The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to This Week in the Metaverse, episode 16. Joining me today as guest co-host is Mario Stefanidis, Mario is Vice President of Research at Roundhill Investments, a thematic ETF sponsor who's behind the Metaverse ETF. Mario is responsible for the firm's research activities within the digital media and entertainment sector and serving on the firm's investment committee, helping oversee Roundhill's investment activities across all sponsored ETFs and other vehicles. Mario, great to have you with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, yeah. As a reminder to disclaimers, all opinions shared by Mario on the episode today are his personal views only, and everything discussed is not a financial advice. The podcast is strictly educational. And so like every week, we pick three items that we thought are interesting in terms of what's happening in the metaverse, and we're just going to talk them through, have a conversation, share our thoughts, our insights, and ideas. And the three topics for the week. First, Jensen Huang, CEO of NVIDIA, was interviewed by Dean Takahashi from VentureBeat, who was also a great guest on our podcast a few months ago. What really captured my attention, Mario, was Huang's bullishness on the industrial metaverse and mm -hmm. the prospect of NVIDIA's Omniverse to play a key role in realizing that vision. So that's the first item we're going to talk about. Then we'll talk about the changes at Snap, who's shutting down Snap Originals, among other things, their in-house production studio of scripted and documentary-style programming, and they're doubling down on its core priorities, including augmented reality, you know, quote-unquote, metaverse meets physical world. And then the third item, which we'll finish with is, of course, we have to yet another piece of news from Meta Platforms. In this time, Meta's VP of Horizon is leaving the company, adding more uncertainty on where its metaverse project is heading and who is going to be heading it moving into the future. So these are the three items. Mario, let's start with item one, the interview with Jensen Wang, which was really incredible to see again, that level of bullishness on the metaverse as a whole, and specifically the industrial metaverse that they're building with the Omniverse. Your thoughts? Yeah, I thought that interview was super interesting because for all the other answers, he just gave a few sentences. But then when it came to the question on the industrial metaverse and where what applications he sees beyond gaming, he really went to town. And I think there are so many applications within automaking, manufacturing, even medicine, that we really haven't even begun to scratch the surface. If you look at Unity, for example, the applications beyond gaming are, I think, a lot more exciting than gaming itself. And Omniverse is certainly, as a real-time 3D collaboration engine, going to have its foot in the door as one of the premier collaboration softwares driving the future of work. And looking at the decline of that, probably even what reiterate even more on what you just said, the industrial metaverse, these enterprise applications like global teams at BMW designing cars from anywhere, anytime together embedded in this omniverse. One of the things that makes this business direction even more important is obviously looking at the 33% decline of their gaming business, right? Year over year mm -hmm. or previous quarter. And so looking at the gaming revenue decline, obviously gaming is continues to be a very important sector for NVIDIA. And in general, it's a large sector. 
How do you think about NVIDIA's potential in cementing its metaverse ambition when it comes to introducing more and more and more opportunities for industrial businesses to build in this quote-unquote industrial metaverse? Yeah, well, I guess, first, firstly, I think the days of gaming being a larger, having more revenue than the data center on a quarterly basis are behind us. I think going forward, data center will always be NVIDIA's largest segment unless automotive kind of comes out of left field and really grows tremendously. But data center is super important. And between the 100 and what NVIDIA is doing for supercomputing and parallel processing, the data center, I think, has never looked brighter for them. I think what that means is you are going to have more computing power needed than ever to drive these applications and the future of work. And companies are going to spend, whether they like it or not, on intensive data centers. What I'm trying to say is gaming is a retail business, whereas data center is an institutional business. And institutions have so much more capital than gamers who are driven by cyclical stuff. The data center is going to be so much more important than gaming for NVIDIA going forward. Gaming has proven itself to be a cyclical business. We thought that those trends might be bucked after the 2019, but clearly 2022 has reared its head as another cycle for the gaming business. I think data center is going to continue to grow sequentially forever, pretty much, as companies keep driving spending on parallel computing and the next generation of, of work. The A100 chip is the most powerful chip that the company has ever created. And barring the China news, which just came out today, where the company won't be able to sell their chips to China for security reasons. So regarding the industrial metaverse, institutions are going to be spending aggressively on the data center in this new work from home environment where individuals are collaborating via 3D and real time applications with low latency versus physically going into the office. And Microsoft really showed this as well with their software, where people can collaborate in teams throughout the globe. Look, I mean, obviously the data center, Mario, I subscribe to that point of view where data center is obviously a much longer term, much more sustainable from a profitability perspective, uh, given that it's less cyclical, it's more institutional, meaning the buyers, the purchasers, or technology people in large enterprises versus 15-year-olds in a bedroom that are playing video mm -hmm. games. I do think also that reading Huang's interview shines a light that in my mind is so fundamental to the emerging metaverse, which is the fact that the metaverse is so much more than about games. And it could well be that majority of the value of the metaverse as, a, as an economy, as a realm, is going to be associated with non-gaming products, services, and activities which kind of makes sense because guess what? This is what the real world is, right? If you take all of the games today and like sports leagues, it's not even a fraction of some of the biggest enterprises, businesses in the world. And I suspect the metaverse will very much be similar once it goes beyond the consumer. It goes into enterprises, industrial applications. And that's what's so exciting, right? Because it's not just about playing games, jumping in, interoperability of experiences. It's about... What are we going to do that we're doing today? And we're going to do it in a way that is hyperscaled, in a way that we're embedded in these worlds, 
It's not working on a 2D screen with people on Zoom. And we're going to do it in a way that is so much more expressive than today. That is a real, that is a massive paradigm shift for how businesses are going to operate, how businesses are going to make stuff, how BMW and others are going to design and make cars, how we're going to build rockets, how we're potentially going to treat people, how we're going to educate kids. There's just so many ramifications that are not spoken about in this interview with Wang, but made me think about, which is also why I was so fascinated with this week's news about Roblox, for example, who essentially quietly acquired a company called Triple Play, which is essentially a company that develops its own sort of 3D events software, quote unquote, metaverse company events that just been acquired by Roblox. And I cannot think that this is not potentially the beginning of a new work category on the Roblox platform. Yeah, I think it's clearly so much beyond gaming. You look at some of the sell side estimates from banks like City and Morgan Stanley, they're all forecasting $8 trillion and up in metaverse, a totally addressable market in the long term. And that is clearly beyond gaming. It's going to permeate, I think, every aspect of work, which is why Jensen Wong thinks that the metaverse economy will eventually transcend the physical economy, which is over $60 trillion, according to World Bank. Like you said, the applications are tremendous. You know, automaking medicine, for example, one application of Unity is training surgeons to do surgery with VR versus actually having to train on a patient, which is life-saving. And that's just one. And then you look at everything from animation, for example, Rufus DeSoul's music video, which won, won a Grammy recently, was created entirely in Unity. There's, there's so many applications for the metaverse and to think of it as just gaming and to think of it cyclically, I think is really short-sighted. And it's an unfortunate to see companies like Meta Platforms and NVIDIA and what we'll talk about in a little bit, Snap, punished for having this long-term view and having to reorient to meet short-term financial goals, which are largely dictated by Wall Street. You know, that might be one of the reasons why Elon Musk is so hesitant to make his subsidiary companies public and why he wished that Tesla was still private so he wouldn't be beholden to these financial metrics. Yeah, which is a great springboard to the next item on today's show, talking about the changes at Snap. So for those who haven't seen the news, Snap, the owner of Snapchat has laid off about 1,200 people, which is about 20% of its workforce. That included shutting down Snap Originals, which is its in-house production studio of scripted and documentary style programming. And also they shut down some hardware product, the drone camera they launched recently. They've shut that down. And also deprioritizing resources for projects that are not fitting into one of those three priorities, which is revenue growth, community growth, and augmented reality. And it's funny, out of the three priorities, only one is kind of a long-term thing, which is augmented reality. And the other two are really set to satisfy the growth matrix that analysts are looking at, at least that sort of my interpretation. But really the interesting piece is that Snap, to your point, Mario, is likely being punished for taking the long-term view and really building itself as using camera as the core technology of what they envision is going to be the next phase of human interaction and developing some really incredible algorithms and capabilities that can cement its position also as an AI company. And so love to hear your thoughts about this yeah. whole Snap restructure. Yeah, I was very upset to see the drone project Pixie axed because I thought that had large applications from everything from people taking selfies in unique environments to people being able to fly out a drone with really high quality cameras 
and take panoramas of landscapes. And ultimately, Snap is reorienting itself to stuff that isn't losing money. And that inherently means losing out on innovation. I think when it comes to their current projects, they still have NFTs coming as filters for Snaps. They're still building out the social aspect of the platform and continuously integrating advertisements into the app. But again, when it comes to some of this longer term stuff, it's hard to see how Pixie didn't fit into the AR category. So it really may just be them looking at community growth, AKA monthly active users, which is a financial metric and then revenue growth, which is also a financial metric. Again, it's unfortunate, but I think it's a consequence of the stock being down 85% year to date and having a lot of scrutiny on their metrics and their reduced guidance every time they issue it. And to add on what you said, I think another piece that I'm studying from what they've done by shutting down the production studio is that they're getting out of original content production, which they partner with anywhere from actors like Will Smith to other celebrities in building unique original content. And it seems like it's in line with the wider trend of streaming services also struggling to some extent with original content and how to justify the subscription prices that they take from consumers and the fact that there's just so many shows. Instead of that, what I understand is Snap is starting to spend more thinking about user-generated content, which if you, again, look at a company like Roblox has been incredibly successful as a modality of content creation, because then you're really just focusing on building a technical infrastructure and all of the services that developers and creators would need. And so I think that's an interesting piece that very much relates again to a new creator generation that will enable a lot of the experiences that will happen in the consumer side of the metaverse. And then lastly, they also are deprioritizing gaming into mm -hmm. the platform, which that's an interesting thing. And I'm not sure what does that mean? Or obviously games will continue to be available, but I am curious because they have been investing a lot over the last few years in attracting developers to come and build games and experiences or, or interactive play experiences on their platform. Any point of view on that as part of the wider gaming decline in the last several months? Yeah, you know, you have different perspectives, I think, when it comes to gaming. For one, you have Netflix continuing to acquire mobile gaming studios and integrating them into the streaming service. And then Snap, which is a social media platform that, you know, is also in essence a short form streaming service, is cutting back on gaming. So perhaps they didn't see the same lucrative points that Netflix saw when it came to that form of media, but it's disheartening because it means that Snap isn't going to be a full service platform for all forms of interactive media. It's really going to just be focused on short form video that is user created. To your point with Roblox, I think it'll be interesting how the monetization shakes out if they do go that route. Will it be like Roblox where it's a 70-30 split? Will users be able to retain even more of the economics? And how does that look from Snap's margin profile? Will it boost margins to have users create their own content and pay them for it? Or will it be reducing margins, but probably result in higher volume? I think that's yet to be seen. And these are certainly conversations that management is having. The pressure is on given the company's performance recently. The pressure is on and the metaverse is coming. So we'll see how they balance these two, which is a great springboard to the third and last item for this week in the metaverse, which is meta platforms and another piece of news after a very turmoil few months for meta, anywhere from things that are more serious to talent, executive talent departures or changes to 
how they're thinking about building their infrastructure. The recent news is that the VP of Horizon, which includes Horizon, Horizon Work, which is the workrooms, more like for workplaces, they have Horizon Worlds, which is their premier, quote unquote, metaverse realm. So the VP of that is leaving the company effective, effectively. And in my mind, that kind of adds a bit more to uncertainty to what exactly, it's less of uncertainty are they going to proceed with this? Obviously, they're all in, both from a technology standpoint and business standpoint. But what do you read in between the lines of really the person who leads the Horizon Worlds living at such a fundamental time period for the project? So on the one hand, when Sheryl Sandberg left, the CEO of Meta, that was slightly more understandable because she had come on early in the company when the primary goal was selling ads and perhaps she didn't see eye to eye with Mark in the reorientation towards the metaverse. But for the VP of Horizons to leave, which like you said, is the flagship metaverse platform for the company included with all of the Quest headsets is pretty striking. It's hard to read into it without being an insider in the company, but clearly executives don't see eye to eye with Mark's vision. Perhaps they think that his integration of avatars in Messenger and Instagram is not tackling the core of what the company should be doing, which is focusing on VR. You know, we've seen a lot of auxiliary metaverse developments with Meta, but we haven't seen any sizable VR software investments. Perhaps that is what is causing the turnover with that team. Personally, I would like to see Meta continue building out the OS and doubling down on the applications for the headsets rather than introducing an avatar store and digital clothes, particularly if they're going to be spending $10 billion a year on this and reducing their operating, increasing their operating expenses dramatically. We need to see, I think, really large changes and they haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah. And I think it's, what's interesting is uh, there's so many things to get right in this type of endeavor that they're pursuing. And I'm wondering what is the one thing that they're going to be like just the best in the world at. And I don't know if they, on, if they know the answer, I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but I think there is something going on where you see a lot of their top executive talent in these relevant projects are, are leaving. And you just have to ask the question. Is that because they don't subscribe to the vision that Zuckerberg has for what is the metaverse that Meta can build and should play a role in, in enabling? Is that a combination of that plus there's just more exciting opportunities? I do wonder about that because, I mean, if you're a VP of Horizon in one of the companies that is really intending to shape the metaverse effectively... Yeah and he's investing $10 billion a year in this, how much more exciting it could be in other place, right? And so it's probably a combination of a lot of different things. The state of the project, the scrutiny of Meta as a company in general, the fact that there's a lot of executive talent, the aggressiveness that Zuckerberg is showing in steering the company in a very clear direction, and all the talking points in recent weeks and months about how they're going to basically let go of underperformance. And there's, it just seems like the ante is up and there's much more scrutiny internally of what type of people should pursue what type of project. And it's really interesting. I think it's something to keep an eye on. And most importantly, what does it mean for the evolution of the platform, for the evolution of the project? What is the project going to look like in the coming month? To me, the always the biggest question with Horizon Worlds, Oculus and all their Quest products is, 
ultimately how are they going to build, nurture, and retain a world-class scalable developer community? Because these are the people ultimately who is going to build these experiences. Facebook as a company never had the DNA of really building innovation from within. They have innovated to some extent in certain features within the Facebook platform in the early years, but they're two of their biggest products are required. Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus Quest. And so they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to, no one is going to let them buy again a billion, two billion, five billion dollar companies. 90 billion, 90 billion com dollar companies are not going to happen again in this lifetime. So any point of view on what some of the struggles they might see because of scrutiny from the regulator and how does that feed to the challenges of their core DNA as a company? Yeah, I was just going to say that actually. They're having trouble acquiring the VR fitness app within, and that's getting scrutinized by the FTC. So that's, if that small app is being scrutinized, what does that mean for potentially more transformative acquisitions? And in fact, in the complaint from the FTC, they had said that blocking this acquisition prevents Meta from becoming, you know, the controller of the entire Metaverse. So if they see that with just that one app, there's no more transformative acquisitions that are going to be able to happen. So we need the innovation to come from within. And I think the VPs that are departing are disillusioned with the lack of progress that the company has made. They've had Oculus now for eight years. And even though the shift towards Meta happened last November, I think they've had plenty of time to innovate, particularly on the software side of VR. And even though they are splashing a lot of money at it, perhaps there are companies that are innovating more rapidly that some of these top minds in VR and AR want to migrate to. I'll, yeah. repeat, I'll repeat something that I said several times that I think is really in, important in my mind, which is, where is this coming from? If you think about Oculus acquisition, it comes from Facebook missing initially on the move to mobile. They fixed it with an incredible execution of mobilizing the Facebook app and then Messenger as a separate product and then acquiring Instagram and WhatsApp and essentially building a juggernaut, one of the biggest companies, by far the most dominant social platform ever existed. Having said that, what also happened is that Zuckerberg's realized how dependent they are on the iOS ecosystem and dependent on Apple. And I think there is this iner inherent desire to not be limited anymore. But that is a really big issue because I personally, and I don't try and predict the future, but I don't believe that in the coming years, maybe the next five, seven, 10, maybe even more years, I don't believe that the smartphone as a form factor will stop being the focal point for our virtual existence. It will likely continue to be the focal point, which means all of these investments in new form factors and competing against Apple and building the next computing platform, in my mind, are a bit premature because unless you're building an, a competing smartphone, Apple themselves are likely going to keep the iPhone as the key gateway to all of the other form factors. It is my belief, and I might be wrong, but it is my belief that the VR headset and the AR glasses or whatever these products that Apple are going to launch in the next 12 to 24 months are still going to be more like the Apple iWatch than another, smart, another iPhone, meaning the iPhone will continue to be the primary gateway to those other devices and interact with them 
and be the epicenter of our identity in the Apple ecosystem. And so regardless of the level of investment of Meta into AR and VR, I believe it's still going to be the smartphone that is going to be the key gateway to billions of consumers, at least for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You look at consumers in the United States and Europe, there's about a billion combined people in the US and Europe. In emerging markets, there are three, four billion people who are just getting their hands on smartphones and are just getting elevated enough in wealth status to be able to purchase one of these devices. Apple has done a great job, I think, of introducing affordable options across their range. The SE, you can purchase for 500 bucks. If the rumors are true about the pricing on their VR headset, you're looking at a $1,500 to $2,000 device. People in emerging markets aren't going to be buying that, right? First and foremost, they need a phone. And it's awesome that the phone also does things that are relevant to the metaverse. So I think for at least the next five years, the iPhone is going to be the primary access point, particularly with the introduction of cloud gaming. You have people now able to game and not be not limited by their hardware. The only limit with cloud gaming is latency. And as projects like Starlink come to fruition, that is slowly falling as a barrier as well. So I think the smartphone is here to stay. I think tablets are here to stay. And these VR devices will be a nice to have. But if you just think about the billions of people in emerging markets, that's not their priority is getting their hands on a communication device. And if it can also game and access the metaverse, they're going to do that too, but it's not the primary use case for them. Mario, we're in agreement. And that's actually a great point to conclude this week in the metaverse. Mario, thank you so much for joining me today. It was awesome to chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Into the Metaverse. We hope you learned a lot and explored new aspects of the metaverse. 